0: stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.
1: It's not often that in a small town, someone disappears out of thin air, a place where everyone knows everyone all on a first name basis. So when a young woman vanishes without a trace in the town of Kincardine, it was alarming. Lois Hanna has been missing for almost 35 years. Mass searches have taken place. Multiple police investigations were conducted. People have been questioned. Suspects have been brought in. Polygraph tests have been taken, yet nothing. No body has been found. No arrests have been made. But in 2018, the case gained a second set of eyes when Please Bring Me Home started their own investigation. They're a non-profit organization whose goal is to solicit new tips and investigate missing persons and cold cases across Canada. From their investigation, they are able to narrow down the area in which Lois disappeared. And although it has been decades, Please Bring Me Home continues to organize searches in order to bring Lois home. Here's your host, Haley Chang.
0: On Sunday, July 3rd, 1988, the entire town of Lucknow gathered for the Celebrate in 88 dance in the Lucknow Arena. It was the final event in a weekend full of festivities for the community's 130th town reunion. And among the many attendees was the Hannah family. Lois Hannah enjoyed the celebration with her family and friends. At 11.45pm, she decided it was time to go home. She wanted a good night's rest before her morning shift at McGee's the next day. This would be the last time her family and friends would see or hear from her. Lois drove back to her home in Kingardon and arrived around 12.15 the morning of July 4th. That morning, Lois never arrived at work. This was unlike Lois as she had always been a dedicated and trustworthy employee. Lois's boss became worried and sent an employee to check on Lois. The co-worker knocked on the door of Lois's red brick bungalow on Baker Street, but there was no answer. Fearing that Lois might have fallen and hurt herself, the co-worker found an unlocked window and crawled inside. But Lois was not home. The co-worker immediately contacted her boss, who then contacted Lois' family. There was no sign of a struggle. All the doors to the house were locked from the inside. This is Angela Richard, one of the three hosts on the Shedding Light podcast who have been investigating Lois Hanna's case.
2: It was a a push knob kind of lock. So you had to push the knob and turn it from inside the house. Now, there are two kinds of those. There's one that once you open it, it pops open. And I would assume that this one, when it was unlocked from the outside, it was then open. But we all know of those ones where you go out to the garage and you can't get back in because it's it's locked from the inside. But with a key, I would imagine that once you pop it open, it is unlocked. So to, to us, it indicates that somebody understood how that door worked and therefore made sure to lock it on the way out. or came back afterwards and locked the door. We don't know. There were no signs of a struggle. There were no signs of anything out of place, um, which leads one to believe that Lois knew who it was that showed up at her door that night.
0: Lois's car was found parked in her driveway. The TV was still on and a half-finished cup of tea sat on her kitchen counter next to the door. The she warts of the dance was neatly put away, and yet, her family knew something was wrong. This is Matt Knopper, the co-founder of Please Bring Me Home, a nonprofit dedicated to finding missing persons in Canada.
3: Lois's um, purse was, was in a cabinet where she left it, and Lois would never leave without that, that purse. That purse was with her like people carry phones now. People never leave their phones. And Lois never left her purse. So that was the first alarming thing for her brother, Dave, and uh, Jim, was that um, Lois had left her purse behind which was very, very unusual and for them was a big red flag that something was very wrong.
0: The Hanna brothers immediately reported Lois missing to the Kincartan police. Two drops of blood were later found on a wall close to the door, but nothing came from that piece of evidence. The Hanna family was disappointed with how they were treated and how the local police went about the investigation.
2: When the police were called... They poured that cup of tea down the drain. They went through her car, dumped her purse contents out. I don't think any safety measures were taken to preserve any sort of evidence that may have been there. And then they basically said that they didn't believe Lois was in any kind of trouble, that she probably just took off and
0: was partying. The brothers decided that they couldn't depend on the police. It was a hot summer day and they knew that without food and water, their sister only had days to survive. Dave Hanna and the rest of the family took the investigation into their own hands.
2: So the family had no choice but to make Lois's house at that time the main point of action, uh, like a headquarters of sorts, there were no cell phones back then. They had to have a central location that people could come and meet. They were all farm boys. They all lived out in the country. So this was a way everybody could all converge at once and then disperse from there. And they conducted many, many searches those first few days with dozens upon dozens of volunteers.
0: The Hannah brothers quickly assembled people from around town to conduct their own search. Neighbors and local businesses offered equipment to help the volunteers. They conducted the search all without the local police participation, as they refused to help. The local police even threatened the brothers with arrests for disrupting their investigation. Eventually, the OPP stepped in and the investigation finally started to move forward. Lois Hanna has been missing for over 35 years and over the last three decades various suspects and theories have emerged. Some were debunked. One of those suspects was a youth counselor in town that often worked with the Kincardine police.
2: He was a local guy he was married and he was the sidekick of there was a a rather crooked cop in town at the time and then this guy was a sidekick of his but we had family members of his reach out and say that he had a practice a habit of drugging his wife's tea not just one but I believe there were two or three ex-wives that came forward and claimed this and then it kind of makes one go hmm and rumor has it that he would that he would brag that he and Lois had a relationship at one point.
0: At some point, infamous serial killers Paul Bernardo and Russell Williams were also theorized as suspects due to their connection to the town of King Both were later disproved. The last suspect was a friend and neighbor of the Hannah family. He even joined the search for her after she disappeared. By 2003, this man was the primary suspect in the disappearance of Lois Hannah.
2: There's one gentleman in particular that a lot of the locals and family members believe is responsible. But that being said, Lois was a very vibrant, young, attractive young lady, and she had a lot of suitors. She had a couple of ex-boyfriends, and you know there was a very long list of persons of interest at that time. From all accounts, from, you know, what we can ascertain, all of those people were questioned, polygraphed, and eliminated, except for one, this one person that everybody believes is responsible. And the main reasons they believe he's responsible is A, he did not come home that night, B, he didn't show up for work the next day. I believe he showed up late for work, but he wasn't there and that was not his nature to be late for work. He was a very dependable fellow. And C, he was seen cleaning the inside of his truck out that morning, hosing it out. And D, he refused to do a polygraph. So all those things make one look very guilty.
0: His behavior was strange, even damning. These were not exactly the actions of an innocent man, but they couldn't prove that he was guilty either. It left a lot of people curious about his potential involvement. But instead of clearing it up with the public, he still chooses to remain silent.
3: Nick Oldreef, who is a co-founder as well, he actually spoke to him, tried to have a conversation, and he had no interest in talking about Lois, had no interest. The phone conversation probably didn't last more than 30 seconds, and he hung up the phone. So that's pretty telling, right? Uh, When when you have somebody who not only knew Lois, but was friends with Lois and her family, we reach out and we only want to bring people home. We have, we're not police. (laughs) We have no authority in that regard. And really, we aren't interested in who's culpable, you know, who is responsible. We just want to bring Lois home. Tell us where she's located and we'll bring her home. Uh, And he had no interest in talking to us. Uh, And this is a former friend of hers. So it was very concerning. It's very possible that he either knows something about Lois' disappearance or was responsible for it.
0: Despite there being multiple suspects, no warranted arrests have been made. All leads have come up dry and the investigation met constant dead ends. All the suspects have also moved out of town, making questioning them a lot more difficult. The case had no notable progress until 2018 when Please Bring Me Home took on the case in pursuit of bringing Lois home to her family.
3: The first goal is to create publicity. These cases die a quick death when they go cold because people stop talking. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a case is people stop talking. uh, People forget. Uh, and then uh, time moves on. Uh, but the family doesn't forget, and the friends don't. So that was our, our first goal, was to uh, just create publicity. You know, we, we had newspaper stories, we were on the TV, and we got in a significant amount of tips uh, fairly quickly. After so many years, so much changes after 20, 30 years, friendships break down, relationships break down, and it's two or three decades where people can talk, right, and then, you know, maybe feel that... Um, they have a little more security. You, you know, they haven't been caught yet. So uh, maybe in a moment of weakness, they might say something, right? And that's kind of what we're aiming for, is that somebody has said something over the years, and it'll get to the right person, and that right person will reach out to us. So while I'm sure a lot of the tips that we got in were very similar to what police got in initially in that first year uh, or two, um, there were some tips that came in which police hadn't heard, or heard about. And so those were very interesting to us.
0: The tips came in bunches. The most important thing is how useful would these tips be and what would they lead to?
2: On the Wednesday after Lois disappeared, there was a report. I believe it came to the family first and then to the police that a couple in the early hours going out to their farm, they had a house in town and they were going out to tend the cows on the farm passed a field and saw an individual walking through the field in a peach outfit. And through, um, you know, questioning certain people from everything we understand, that was not public at the time. Nobody knew that Lois had a peach nightgown and robe that was missing. So the fact that this couple identified a peach outfit seemed pretty indicative of, it was a really good chance that that was Lois.
0: The area she was spotted in was in Holyrood, not far from where the Hannah family farm was. And interestingly enough, it was also close to where the primary suspect lived. Please Bring Me Home received a tip about a scream that was heard the night Lois disappeared. The scream was heard only a concession away from where the girl in the peach nightgown was spotted. A
3: man who lived near this gravel pit had picked up his two kids from the same dance that Lois was at. So he knew it was that night. And uh, he took them back home from the dance sometime early that morning. So it could have been, it, it was dark out still. So it could have been 2 a.m. So 2 or 3 a.m., he woke up to a, a, what he believes is a woman screaming. All the windows were open in the house. He went around to his kids' bedrooms, thinking maybe it was one of them. Everyone was fast asleep. Uh, he got it in his vehicle and drove down the road to see if he could see anybody. Uh, he actually drove back halfway back to this gravel pit, but then stopped, turned around and went back home. He did initially report that maybe a year later to the Carden police, but he's not very confident they took it seriously and, and he never heard back. So then he sent us that tip and we did take it seriously.
2: If you look at a map where all these sights and sounds were heard, I mean, it makes sense. It's possible that Lois was trying to run from a captor and make her way back to the family farm where her mother still resided. It's not far off. But the sequence kind of doesn't go all in one straight line. But if you're running from somebody, you don't, you know, you can be very disoriented exactly where you are, if it's dark, et cetera. So those are all areas that we search and we continue to search because it's vast.
0: (laughs) With plenty of tips coming in, it brought the next phase of Please Bring Me Home's investigation into play. Now it was time to search. This is the part that Please Bring Me Home excels in. They have less restrictions than the police when conducting a search.
3: We're able to search areas with less red tape, so we, we can go in very quickly to an area with the owner's permission and with a lot less uh, evidence than perhaps the police might need. As long as we have the owner's permission, which uh, most most times we get without an issue, then we can move in on an area and search it and rule it out. The police can't search every area they get a tip about. Like there has to be something concrete and constructive that relates to something they already know about the case, uh, because if there's a cost associated with with these cases, and a lot of the cases that we look at are years, if not decades, old. So the police have already often done a lot of searches, but we have the the ability to, with the vast number of volunteers that we have, we have the ability to get a search going fairly quickly at minimal cost. Uh, Most of the people volunteer their services for free, which is great. And then at least we can then rule out this area.
0: In the fall of 2019 and 2022, police me Home conducted searches in the Holyrood area. They had access to forensic anthropologists, genetic specialists, cadaver dogs, and special machinery called ground-penetrating radar that helped scan for elements underground. But on the day of the search, their biggest asset was community involvement.
3: So it was a lot of publicity on on our uh, Facebook page, so through social media, through the newspaper, and then the the Hanna brothers themselves, the Hanna brothers did a fantastic job. I mean, they did a, a ton of work. To, to organize it. So it was really a group effort. And, and a lot of friends helped out of, of the Hannahs. It, uh, it was quite overwhelming to see the turnout and the amount of people who came out and bringing food. People donated food. People donated um, tractors and a, and, a, and a bus to take people to the search area. So you know we had because it's <laughs> logistically it could be very tough to move uh, 150 200 people to a search area. But everybody came out and helped in the local area. It was uh, it was quite the quite the event. Of course, the goal was was to, was to bring Lois home. That's that's always the goal. So it was disappointing at the end. But, you know, it helped rule out an area. You know, you, know, you, ha- you have to keep hope alive, right? Hope is, hope is the one thing that you have. That hope, one day someone says something, one day someone comes forward with for some information which will lead to her, her location.
0: Although they haven't been able to locate Lois yet, Please Bring Me Home continues to use social media to spread awareness on Lois' disappearance. Matt and Angela believe that with the public's help, they will eventually get the tip that can help them find Lois.
2: We've run a a social media post a few times about a flatbed pickup truck. So an old, like a farm truck or a work truck that's had the box removed from it. About a week prior to Lois's disappearance, she was witnessed by both her brother and another individual who I also spoke with at great length, speaking with a man inside this truck. Um, In a very heated manner, she seemed agitated and frustrated and he was using some rather foul language. So we've posted pictures of a similar type truck. And we've had a whole bunch of people reach out to us. Now we have a big long list of names of people that drove trucks like that back then. So there's a perfect example of how the public can help, because back then there was not social media. It was word of mouth, it was telephone, and it was newspapers and radio. So now we're able to share so much more insight, so much more information, and the public can share that information with the touch of a button. So that's what we ask for people to share posts, to ask questions, um, especially in that area. Somebody knows something. People don't keep quiet about this. They've told somebody. So if somebody knows first or second hand information at this point in the game, there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, if you're afraid of hurting family members, (laughs) look at the Hannah family. They've been hurting for a really long time. So do the right thing.
0: The former friend and neighbor of the Hanna family has been the main focus of the investigation for many years, but he still refuses to speak. How do you solve a case or find a body if the main suspect won't speak and no new information turns up?
3: They would need, at this point, either a body, right, to, to locate Lois, or for someone to come forward with information. It is, it is possible that he has spoken uh, to somebody over the past three plus decades maybe a a close friend, maybe his wife. He's since moved from the area, but um, it is is possible that he has said something. It's very difficult to keep a secret that long. Very, very difficult. So it's very possible he said something. So we just need someone to come forward, give us a a location for Lois, or if you have information about this person and potentially what he has said, uh, that would be important as well. Some people don't realize what they know. That's something they heard, something they may have overseen. They don't realize the significance in, in it. So any no tip is too small. No no tip is insignificant. Any tip has the potential to be a piece of that puzzle that helps bring Lois home. Anybody out there that has any information and they think it is insignificant, it's not. Definitely bring it forward.
0: Lois's mother passed away without ever knowing what happened to her daughter. But Dave and the rest of the Hanna brothers have not given up hope. What they want more than anything, maybe even more than an arrest and conviction, is to bring Lois home. It's
2: been 35 years and the pain of not knowing what's happened to a loved one is excruciating. So Lois's family deserves answers. Lois deserves peace. And please keep sharing. Please keep Lois in your mind and your hearts as you go about your daily business.
1: This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Haley Cheng. It was written and produced by Patrick Maggermans and Haley Cheng.
0: The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.